Welcome to Hope Plus, a podcast for Hope Community Church. If you're a new listener, we encourage you to check us out at hopecommunity.ca or find us on social media. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Good morning. I'd like to uh, acknowledge as well that you know that this uh, eighth year in our building, and uh, it's humbling how you know we started and and uh, we bought the land many 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 years ago, and now we're this. And I look at all you here, and I'm I'm moved by that. There's this article that was. Uh, this was a new church built within, with community needs in mind. And uh, I was interviewed for this article uh, by a, a, a reporter from the Cloverdale newspaper. I was reading through it again, and I read the, uh, what I said. I said, because, you, know, you know, we were in school gyms, and so we were always setting up and taking down, and, you know, people were a little tired of that. So I, I said, I said I, I, uh, it's going to be great not to have to put chairs away. Uh, that didn't kind of turn out exactly the way I thought, but anyways, uh, it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, then I, there's another line in there that said, "We wanted it to be a building that the community would appreciate." And you know, we we designed the building so that it would be attractive space for the community around us as well. And you know, and then I look at you know during the week when taught romp and story time and pickleball and Sunday services, and I see you know, how God has blessed us, and I'm so grateful for that. I was also looking through uh, our website the other day, and I saw that opening slide, and the opening slide said, a church for Clayton Heights. This is the church for the community around us. That's our vision, that's our mission. And then under the section, who are we, it said, hope's DNA, and this is what it said underneath that. We believe the Bible is God's word. It is a true story of the whole world. And we invite people, as a community, we invite them to belong and believe and become part of that story and become more and more like Jesus. And with that, we need to live out this gospel story in the way we live. We need to see what falsehoods we believe, what false gospels we hold on to in our cultural time and context and lives. And we, we need to be transformed and empowered by God to show the world around us what true life looks like in Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. To be a people who live out their lives from the gospel, not just with words. And today I'd like to look at how that gospel ought to be operating in your life and mind. We're going to continue our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, Pastor Dave introduced uh, us to the series last week, comparing Paul's letter to the uh, Galatians to an angry email. No, I'm not going to have Jerry Hanlon come up and rip into us again like he did last week. But, uh, no, Paul, Paul's upset, though. That was the point, an angry email. He's upset with what's happening to the truth of the gospel in Galatia. This is anger out of love for the gospel and love for people. The gospel is at stake. 
And when that gets messed with, he's upset. The identity of the church is at stake. Our unity at in Christ is at stake. This is a big deal. And the agitators, as they were called, the Judaizers, are giving the Gentiles uh, a gospel that is Jesus plus. I always remember that from last week. Jesus and some other things. And Pastor Dave challenged us with our attempt to create Jesus plus gospels as opposed to, as we sang, Christ alone. Jesus plus religious experiences. Jesus plus cultural influences. Jesus plus material prosperity. Jesus plus safety and comfort. And you can fill in the blanks. Jesus plus and what else? And we're asked then, we were asked then, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? This is going to sound like a, you know, a real basic message, and in a way it is. But I want to go beyond just head knowledge here. This is what Paul's trying to get across to his letter to the Galatians. So let's, let's look at it together. Galatians 2, 11 through 21. We start off with kind of the, um, the point of conflict in, in the passage here. So we start off, when Cephas, and that's, that's Peter, Cephas is the Greek for that, when Peter, so he's, he's an apostle, came to Antioch, I, that's Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they, these are the Judaizers, arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I'm not sure that's the best name I'd want to gather under, but anyways. <laughs> the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, another leader in the church, was led astray. Okay, there's the, there's the point of conflict. Now, Paul, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? As if there's the Jesus plus thing. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful, sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one is justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, which we are, doesn't that mean, does that mean that Christ promotes sin and because that was one of the arguments, and absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. That's a and interesting, I do not set aside the grace of God. Why, why do you say that? Because some people are setting aside the grace of God. Uh, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
All right. Paul is showing the heart of the gospel here, the centrality of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And he's doing that with what are we justified by? That's the heart of the gospel. Justified means to be made right with God. And Paul's approach is very different from the religious approaches of his day around him, including the Judaizers. Other approaches basically say this. If you want to be right with God, obey the divine laws. That's what all the religious folk were doing. Observe its ceremonies and rituals. And if you believe and then obey, you're good. You're justified. You're right with God. That's not what Paul is saying. He says the person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. Of course, the gospel requires that we obey God. That's why he had that little thing in verse 17. Uh, Does Christ promote sin? No, of course not. That's not what we're saying here. So yes, obey God. But there's an order, one that Paul shares. And then there's that other way in the case of the group saying, you must be circumcised, you must eat certain ways. It's the gospel plus group. And again, these are folks who believe in the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. they, They accepted that. But you have to obey the works of the law, circumcision, dietary laws, and so forth. Part of, the, uh, of this group's position involved not pushing against the dominant culture of the day. There was some fear there against Rome, against the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, where, where basically it said, you can have your little faith thing, your little private faith thing, just acknowledge Caesar is Lord and keep your faith to yourself and we're good. Carry on, do whatever you want. Circumcise, whatever. We don't care. Just don't mess with us. Don't make waves. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? Just don't make waves. Just don't push your thing on me. But another problem is the order of things, and that's kind of what I'd like to talk about. One, one scholar said this. He said, the central point at issue between Paul and these other teachers concerned the order of these three steps. Those teachers who said you have to do circumcision and the dietary laws and all the laws said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. Keep the law of God. All right, and then you're saved. Paul's saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, and then you're saved, Uh and then keep the law. Now, there's a huge difference there. There's a huge difference. The common ground, there is common ground in Jesus, but rather than the ordinary religious approach where you obey and then you get saved, the gospel is saying you're saved, therefore follow and obey. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever think if I obey a little bit better, God will love me just a little bit more and he'll give me a little bit more of what I want? Anyone here? Or just me? Right? <laughs> yeah, now we, get, now, we, now, we, now we got a few laughs here, right? <laughs> we, we, have, we, we all fall into that trap to some degree, 
right? Uh, now, here, here's the other way. We could also say, because I'm fully accepted and loved by God through, through Jesus' sacrifice, I therefore, out of gratitude and desire to grow and flourish, obey. I hope you're starting to hear the difference. Those are two radically different approaches, and there are profoundly different motives at work. If you obey to be saved and accepted, then your obedience is anxious and selfish. How is it anxious? Well, it's, you're never sure it's enough. I'm, I, don't know, I, hope, I hope I did enough to score enough points to please God. There, there's no end to that. And, and it's also selfish, because who are you doing it for? For me. <laughs> I'm doing it for myself. That, that, that's the point there. But if I obey because God saved me, because I have everything I need, because Jesus is enough, and then I'm, I'm completely loved, even though I still struggle, and my future is assured, then I can rest in that. And so I obey because God shows me what real life looks like. And I obey out of gratitude and joy and love. And I ask, how can I love more fully like Jesus loves me so I can love others like Jesus? I don't love to score points, but to bless others as God has blessed me. And the sad thing is is that many who go to church live by the wrong order. The Jesus plus order. I believe I have to obey, then I'm saved, and then I'll please God. Or not. And they miss out on the radically freeing way Jesus brought us. I believe I'm saved, I want to live like Jesus and obey out of joy. There's such a difference there. When I obey to try to score points and get saved, my heart is a mess. I'm anxious, I'm never sure I'm good enough, it's all a burden, it's all up to me. And then you're an irritable kind of person, you're touchy because if anyone criticizes you, you get very upset since you're struggling to be good enough and now you have the audacity to tell me I'm not. I can't hear that. Or you have to be right all the time. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's important that everyone knows how right I am. Because when I'm right, I'm therefore righteous. Two people sitting together at church every week. Both reading their Bibles, both praying, both attending regularly, trying to live a good life. Doing the same thing, but for radically different reasons and motives. With radically different results. If you obey to be accepted, you'll get self-righteous, self-loathing, anger, fighting all the time versus love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we'll get to that when we get further into Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the two alternatives. Most people, I think, live the old, old order and not the new order of the gospel. The gospel that says you're justified not by your good works, not by your obedience, but by the saving work of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means that the moment you believe, you are united with Christ and all he has done in his death and resurrection. It means, in a sense, you died with Christ. And therefore, you're raised with Christ, made new in Christ. The old you is dead. 
Jesus' righteousness becomes your righteousness. He was treated as if he had done all you had done, and you are treated as if you had done all he had done. That's the gospel. God sees you in Jesus. Isn't that incredibly freeing? So let me ask you, which order are you living by? Martin Luther, the great reformer, struggled with this. He was a monk. He was very religious. When he saw the kind of life the Bible called for, he knew he was coming up short. It bothered him a lot. He knew he didn't love his neighbors as himself. He was doing the Jesus plus life. And he said this, Night and day I pondered, and then I saw that the righteousness in the Gospels is that righteousness whereby this grace and sheer mercy God gives us. God gives us. He realized, I don't give God a righteousness, and then he blesses me. No, he gives me his righteousness. The moment he understood that, he said this, and I quote, Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and gone through the doors into paradise. When I discovered the distinction, I broke through. When I got the order right, believe, saved, obey, versus believe, obey, saved, I broke through when I understood the distinction. Let me ask you this. Have you broken through? Have you broken through? As a pastor of many, many years now, and as a fellow struggler, I see often that we might confess the right order. Believe, saved, obey. And live out the other order. Believe, obey, saved. We might be able to say the right thing, grace alone, and live the other order. And we need to regularly break away from that lie of self-righteousness. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what Paul's fighting against. And once you grasp that, what a difference it makes in your life. You know, when we read here about um, Paul confronting Peter, right? Peter's a significant leader in the church, and he confronts him and Barnabas and a bunch of others uh, on, on this whole thing here. You know, Paul, Paul knew Peter struggled with this stuff. Peter's Jewish, as is Paul, and, and they believed in the Mosaic ceremonial laws and lots of dietary laws and clothing laws and even some things that you couldn't touch. When you got ceremonially unclean, you touched something you shouldn't or you ate something you shouldn't have, you couldn't go to worship. You couldn't go to temple. And you, in a way, you couldn't go see God. So they worked really hard at staying clean. Okay. Of course, the Gentiles around them, the Galatians, were not clean. They ate the wrong things, they weren't circumcised, they did all kinds of things they shouldn't do. And so you've got the strong divide between clean and unclean. And, and there's a real problem there. And it led to some racial superiority here. Those Gentiles with their unclean lifestyles, and you had this racial superiority. It's interesting to me, though, they still had to sacrifice. Well, what does sacrifice tell you? Sacrifice tells you that no one could live it out. No one was perfectly clean. 
Therefore, you had to sacrifice. And when Jesus came, he said some radical things. And he said he was the sacrifice. The final sacrifice. And when you believed in him, you were actually clean. So, he has become the final sacrifice. He has fulfilled the need for cleanliness in himself. And therefore, there was no need for all those clean rules and sacrifices. You're clean in Jesus. Now, that was tough for these Jewish Christians, identity-wise. For Peter, for Barnabas, and all of them. All of this had been a, a way of life to, for, for each of them. And, and now here the gospel is saying, in Christ, all, all, Jews, Gentiles, everybody, all are equally unclean. And in Christ, all who believe are cleansed. All. It's interesting to me that Peter struggled with this. You know, it, it, said, it said he had eaten with Gentiles. You know, he was, he was on board with the gospel. He was in line with the gospel. Not now, but he was. Um, and then, you know, then God, God even at one point comes to Peter, you can read it in Acts 10 and 11, in a dream. And, and, and this, this sheet, this, the tablecloth kind of thing comes down and honors all these unclean foods. And it appeared before Peter, and, and God says, okay, Peter, eat away. And Peter says, whoa, no way. Those are unclean foods. And God makes the point. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's clean. I'm God. You can eat. And he's trying to make a point that the Gentiles were uh, to be part of God's family. That's us. It's interesting to me that Peter, you know, got it and then went back. And I think that's a great warning, especially for you who are seasoned Christians. It's easy to have this us-them mentality. It's easy to, for us to live out a kind of a, well, I'm clean and you're not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we don't want everyone to say, hey, we're all unclean and we need Jesus, all of us. That, that's a different thing. But this, sometimes we make it into groups. And, and Paul calls it at one point, walls of hostility. And these were the mature believers who were helping create walls of hostility. Paul's saying, Let's get, no more of this clean-unclean talk here. No more of those walls of hostility. No more us versus them. Right? Yeah, Peter, you used to eat with the Gentiles. What went wrong? Well, you know, all these Judaizers came, and well, they made some pretty good points, and, well, you know, you really ought to be circumcised. We really ought to do, you know, be careful with what you eat. You know what? Well, you can believe in Jesus, but you've got to do these things too, right? I mean, it's, it's all good, right? And Paul said, no! No! The gospel... What does it say? You're not justified by works. You're justified only through the work of Jesus Christ and his grace. That's it. Quit adding. And I think, I think like Peter, we can, we can go backwards too. Barnabas too. 
And Paul says it in verse 14. He he says, you're not living in line with the gospel. You're misaligned. Misaligned. Again, here's my point. You can say you you know, oh, believe, saved, obey, or, or and then you can live by believe, obey, save. You can live contrary to yourself. You're misaligned. And and Paul says very clearly to, to Peter, you know, you know it's Jesus alone. You know that. You're not walking in line with the gospel. It's so easy to slip slip into uh, lifestyles that are contrary to the gospel, like like Peter, an apostle. It's easy to forget the heart of the gospel. We're all fallen. We all need Jesus every day, all the time. And Paul brings Peter, and he brings Barnabas, and he brings Sid back in line with the gospel. Because we regularly need that. Our lives need constant realignment. We get misaligned with sinful attitudes. We get misaligned by culture. We get misaligned by self-righteousness. And we start saying, those people from our mighty perches in the sky. And we create camps, even in churches. I see it all the time. So what does it mean, we need to ask ourselves every day, what does it mean today, right now, that I believe in the gospel? What does that mean today with how I spend time with my family? What does it mean today that the gospel is true for my marriage? What does it mean today that the gospel is true for the way I do my work, the way I spend my money, the way, what I watch, what I think, where I go? What does it mean today that the gospel is true? And we need to wrestle with that continually. Not worrying about our salvation. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Worrying about living out the gospel. Constantly thinking of its implications, individually and collectively. How are we doing? It saddens me when I hear churches are sometimes the most judgmental places on the planet. It shouldn't be that way. That doesn't mean to say we don't say things are wrong. But we don't stand there from lofty perches looking down on everybody. Am I living my life in line with the gospel? Where I know I'm profoundly saved through only Jesus' grace. And out of that, out of joy and love of Jesus, I obey so that I can bless others and help them find that same life. I think all of us, all of us need to feel valued. All of us need to feel loved. We all need to feel like we belong. And if we don't find that through the gospel, we'll find it elsewhere. But here's the problem. Elsewhere never works. It's an empty place to go. The gospel is the only place you'll find what you really need. God's grace.
And that's why Paul reminds Peter of the gospel. He doesn't simply attack him on his racism. He knows that Peter needs to be reminded of the gospel because that's where he's misaligned. It doesn't just become a fight over an issue. He knows it's a change of heart that we surrender again to the saving work of Jesus again and again and again and again every day till you quit breathing. The gospel is to be received. It's not to be achieved. It's, based on, it's not based on your record, but on Jesus' record. And therefore, the gospel should be the end of the search for identity and meaning and value. Because the search is over, don't search for things anymore. Let the gospel penetrate you more and more, the entirety of your life. And then rest in that. And live in that. And that's why Paul, in the end, says, he said, therefore... I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. I'm not alive anymore. Christ is who lives in me and through me. And then you live in gratitude to him. For he is your life. He's not an add-on. He is your life. And then we get to share that liberation with the world with Clayton, with our families, with our friends, our, family, our wives, our husbands, our, our, our community, everywhere. Because that's what gospel living looks like. Let's pray. Father God, we, we are so grateful that you saved us. We are so grateful that you sent your son to pay the price for our brokenness and our sins. And Lord, may we never, never live out a gospel plus life. May we live only in the centrality of who you are and that you are our savior. May we be a people who take the gospel into every part of our lives and see the chains fall off. May we see our relationships change, our attitudes change, our habits change. May people see in us then you, you who are our life. And for that we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.